Hey, Electric Liberty Landers, today's show is brought to you by Ammo.com. Yes, Ammo.com, who are libertarians at heart. In fact, they came to us because they like the content of our show, not just you and your beautiful money. No, Ammo.com is actually run by libertarians. You can see that in the newsletters and articles that they publish daily. You can also see that in the donations they make on your behalf. Yes, because if you buy through Ammo.com, 1% of every order goes to a cause of your choice that is Liberty-related, and they've got some 30 or 40 on the website. So make sure you go to ammo.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, and if you do, you can get $20 off an order of $200 or more. Once again, that's ammo.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 100. Oh, yeah, you hear those guys listen to the fireworks going off in the 100th episode of ELL. Can you believe we made it? It's more beautiful than words can even describe. It's like angels with paintbrushes. It's like watching ponies dance with each other in tuxedos. It's like a dragon come to life full of rainbows and all the majesty and miracles of nature combined together. I wish he could see it. I really do. I wish he could see it with me here. All right, cut the fireworks. That's a little bit better. I can't actually think now without all that damn racket going on. All right. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, everybody. The 100th episode, if you can believe it. I know I can't. It's shocking how quickly time flies, for being honest. And, uh, you know, I had tried, tried and tried to get a big guest on this show. Someone magical and mystical. Magic and mystery, part of their history. Maybe a gummy bear. I don't think they're real, though. So that's probably why they didn't get back to me. But anywho... Try to get people like James Woods on the show, even though he's not a libertarian, but I figured that would be an interesting conversation. Try to get Scott Adams on. Again, not a libertarian, but who knows? Kurt Russell. Try to get him, but I'll tell you what, guys. It's tricky. You know, it's it's tricky to try to get people to come on a libertarian podcast. Uh, No matter how many listeners you have, it's very difficult. You know, my buddy Jason Stapleton, I know he's got uh, quite a bit more listeners than we do. And I know that it's issues for everybody. It's hard for him to get it as well because people just, they hear that word libertarian and they have a difficult time wrapping their heads around it. And I think also it's something where they know what kind of people libertarians are. They know that we're very well-versed economically. We're well-versed culturally. We know what we're saying. We know we're very principled, at least we're supposed to be very principled. And I think knowing that, they go in feeling a little trepidatious. And also, I think that they look at any, any sort of media interview they're going to do with a libertarian podcast as being something that can be used as a gotcha by some progressive media outlet or GOP media outlet down the road. And as such, they shy away from such things. And so it's a little tricky for us to find those shining beacons of light that we can tap into, that we can say, hey, you're going to go out there into the world you're going to be our face. You're going to be the face of liberty. You're going to be the face of this movement. And that's what this show is going to be about for the most part, guys. As you might have surmised from the headline of the episode, you know, there is a uh, quite a bit of trouble with libertarian heroes, and I'm going to get into that. But uh, first, I will raise a glass to myself <laughs> and also to Mark Claire, who, of course, has our flagship show, started all this to John Odermatt, who then took up the torch on Felony Fridays, one of our most uh, important shows, as we long have said. And also to all of you, my listeners out there who have kept me going, which is uh, we're going to be 100 episodes now. When this comes out, it's going to be just a couple weeks before the two year anniversary of me doing podcasts. Now, that's not counting me getting together with Mark and doing our uh, Libertarians and Living Rooms Drinking Liquor shows, or doing the old Rand Pluses and Minuses shows that I would do regularly with him back in the day before I spun off Electric Liberty Land. But it's going to be two years just Electric Liberty Landing it up. And so, you know, looking back, I wanted to kind of weigh in here on what it's been like. You know, when you take on uh, a little bit of a perspective of doing a show like this every week, certain things do stand out to you. You know, you're looking at current events, you're looking at 
the reactions that you see online and in the media. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Then I want to get into this concept of the trouble with libertarian heroes, which I think is really a huge, huge issue that we deal with when we're trying to get the message out. And then, of course, we'll do a little bit of, little bit of news stuff at the end, guys, because I don't want to just deprive you of what ELL has become. What is, well, not has become, what it's set out to be in the first damn place. What do you guys want every week? And we'll see. I might try not to curse this episode, but you know, that's hard for me. But I figure, hey, maybe episode 100, I'll try not to curse so you can share it with your friends, your relatives. Your, you can let the children listen for once. I won't even make any horrible sexual references. Uh, again, that might be a bridge too far. But anyway, by the way, if you couldn't figure it out by now, if you do want to get to any of the show notes for today's episode, go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL100. You can also find links to our sponsors, ammo.com, as well as conversation mat time over there. And if you have not joined up on our Patreon feed, you should do so. There is all sorts of awesome content coming in there, guys. I do a show called Degenerate Gamblers with Rico and Odie. We also do a South Park recap. And for that hot action, I got together with Dan Smots of the System is Down podcast and Man, talk about losing some libertarian heroes, guys. Matt Stone and Trey Parker, rest in peace. Former libertarian icons have now fallen so far by the progressive wayside with their latest trash episodes. But again, I get ahead of myself a little bit. But check out our Patreon, guys. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Also, for our Patreon subscribers and our patrons, Mark is going to be doing a very special Ask Me Anything in, uh, on Thursday, actually, of this week, wherein he will be fielding questions for, from our patrons and also tasting the hottest of hot sauces sent by Joey Meyer, one of our uh, friends and supporters, who has sent him really a murderer's row of intestine-turning, uh, ass-juice-inducing hotness. So that'll be entertaining to watch, and our patrons get to watch that happen in real time via our video content, which is also available to our members there on top of just audio. Okay, let's get into it. So just in general, looking back at the last two years, looking back at what I've seen, looking back at what I've read, all the uh, the current events content, there are certain things that stand out to me that the Libertarian Party and Libertarians as a whole have issues with and have strengths with. And uh, I just want to talk a little bit about those two things. First off, let's talk about the strengths. Libertarians, as I said earlier, without a doubt, are some of the most intelligent people that I've met. You rarely find a libertarian that is not someone of above-ravage intelligence, someone that is very well-read, someone that is very well-thought. And people usually come to a conversation having very, uh, really armed themselves with what they want to say, the points that they want to make, and a real yearning to prove that they know what they're talking about. Now, that could be good because, you know, being more, uh, more adept than your opponent at what your fundamental principles are, being able to spin that into discussing the world at large and how the worldview ties into your philosophy that's a wonderful thing. But what I've seen <laughs> in person and, and also in uh, a lot of online conversations, also just in reactions from people that, uh, that have dealt with libertarians, is that oftentimes libertarians get so bogged down in the minutia in referencing particulars of Rothbard or drawing on Hoppe or in pulling up some, some random uh, Mises quote or fundamental that, let's say, a progressive or a uh, conservative that you might be talking to, or even somebody that just doesn't even know, that they get so buried and lost in the weeds of what you're trying to say that they pretty much just write it off. You get that glazed-over look in your eye, wherein you say, okay, as confident as I am in the points I'm making, the person I'm talking to just isn't getting it. And if you can't grab someone's attention, if you can't grab someone's passion, then you've lost that person. And that's where libertarians do have an opportunity to grab that passion. You know, if you had heard 
my show that I did last time with uh, Admin 2 over there, Dave at Liberty Memes, talking about taking back comedy. Talking about taking back the principal point of view wherein we are pointing out the fallacies in people's worldviews, where we're pointing out how hilarious it is that these worldviews continue to be propagated throughout the cultural sphere, throughout government, throughout relationships, even, even interpersonal relationships, how absurd these things are, yet they persist. That's how you can spark people. That's how you get people behind you. We all remember the empirical moment that spurred so many people to become libertarians. It, this is what got me onto libertarianism, and that is Ron Paul facing down Giuliani and calling this war what it was, or not even the war, the ongoing endeavors by the United States military in Afghanistan, in the Middle East, in Iraq, in you know anywhere, anywhere in the Middle East for the past 40, 50 years overthrowing dictatorships, putting our new people in place that they that we think in our small-minded way will somehow be pro-America, going all the way back to arming al-Qaeda, giving bin Laden the, the weapons he needs to fight the Russians, which, of course, get used upon us. Ron Paul calling that out, mocking the worldview of those that wanted to continue down this path of absurdity, woke everyone up. I mean, it shook me out of that coma. And we need more of that. And what I find is looking around at the world, I don't see a lot of that necessarily happening. I see a lot of truth-telling from libertarians, but as I said, that truth-telling gets bogged down in minutia. We need to have a broader cultural relevance to tie it into, to say, and I've said this many times, and I'm sorry to repeat myself, but I do think that it's incredibly valuable and incredibly important to do this. We need to have a cultural relevance where we're tying into what other people view as culturally relevant. Now, that doesn't mean that we should abandon principle. If anything, it means we should be more principled. And by what I mean by that is that when we're speaking about libertarianism, we have to find the principles that overlap with other people because we have to crack that egg without breaking it and causing, you know, just getting yolk all over our hands because then you're never getting that egg back. That egg's gone. That egg thinks that you're a lunatic. And, you know, when we talk about uh, talking about how the Civil Rights Act was a bad thing right off the bat, that's breaking the egg, guys. That's not helping anybody. While you might be fundamentally correct, it's not helping. Now, I'm not saying that if there is a specific forum dedicated just to that particular question where you might have an opportunity to break down the question to explain why, from our viewpoint, yes, you might not have needed the Civil Rights Act because you were already having desegregation occur. In fact, if anything, the government was responsible for, for segregation more than anything. So oddly enough, just always hilarious to have the government solve a problem the government created. But I digress. We need to find the purpose of libertarianism as it applies to people's everyday lives or what they find passionate about. How can libertarianism help the poor? How can libertarianism help the downtrodden? How can libertarianism help the economy? How can it help the environment? And again, sticking to principle on those points, not doing what, let's say, the Libertarian Party has done time and time again by trying to free associate libertarianism with an anti-gun march. Somehow transposing open support of Second Amendments, which is what libertarians across the board support and should support, with saying, okay, well, if you believe in your freedom of association, then marching to oppose guns is a good thing. Okay, I get what you're saying, but it's muddying the waters. Just like I had a big problem with Rand Paul when he ran for president and, and in the run-up to his presidential run, I had a huge issue with that because people would call him a libertarian. And that was the purpose of Ron, Rand Paul's and minuses, as well as several columns I wrote leading into it saying, Rand Paul is not a Republican, or I'm sorry, he's not a, a Libertarian, and this is a huge issue for us. Because when you've got someone that had previously said, if you attack Israel, it's an attack on the United States, and that would be an act of war. When you've got somebody that had, uh, 
I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to remember the exact specifics. This is going back several years now. But again, just tying his GOP beliefs in with libertarian beliefs wholeheartedly and whole hog muddies the waters. It makes people confuse the concepts, confuse the topics, and they misunderstand what libertarianism is. So we need to take back the concept of libertarianism and of liberty as a whole. When people hear liberty now, they view it as a dirty word because it's been so co-opted by the right. It's been conflated with military aggression. And that's why libertarians, again, this is the second thing that we need to, to really take back and what I've noticed over the years is that libertarians are now the only existing anti-war party. Not even party, philosophy, let's say. Because it's clear that the Democrats have abandoned that philosophy and they abandoned it as, as the whim is. Whoever's in office, if they happen to have a D next in their name, they don't care about the wars. Even in the current era with Trump, the Yemen atrocities ongoing, you're only now starting to hear about that. The missile attacks on Syria, despite this dubious and still unproven accusation that Assad had gassed his own people, the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Where was the left? If anything, the left, the right, they were united in saying, oh, this is a good thing. Why? Because supposedly the U.S. was attacking Syria in order to protect the children that, that were gassed in this attack. Because dictators love gassing children and women for no apparent reason when they're winning a civil war. And they know that the United States will react as such and send missiles over to do a, a little bit of damage, minor damage. But taking that mantle of we are anti-war, this is what we believe in. We believe that no one should be aggressing on someone else, that you should only have defensive actions if you're this in, in this space, especially in a position of such unbelievable power as the United States is. And especially, as I was talking about, with all the evidence on our side to prove that we're correct. Ron Paul mocked them when he pointed out, why do we not mock them still? Not only that, we're the only party that can say steadfastly that we are anti-drugs because even the Democrats hesitate to say that they are fully in favor of abandoning the drug war. Sure, they want to get medical marijuana. They want to get some maybe legalized pot. Great. I don't hear anybody calling for the vast legalization of all illicit drugs or at least the decriminalization. Even though we've got case studies. You've got Portugal, which had suffered from massive amounts of heroin overdoses, violence in the streets, gangs, drug warfare. They legalize it. And what has happened? Well, my God, oh my gosh and golly. Crime drops. Heroin overdoses drop precipitously. They have some of the lowest heroin overdose rates in the entire world. Everything solidifies because you've taken out this wild card of government intervention and organized crime, plus the fact that people can't get a reliable product on the marketplace. And people mock us. They say, oh, well, the libertarians, they want to legalize heroin. That You know what? That might have worked before, but when you've got real-world examples of how these things function properly when given a chance, you have power, and we need to seize that power. We need to stop squabbling about smaller issues and seize on the biggest issues of the day. Now, I'm not saying... That we need to completely say, okay, we're not going to ever talk about these smaller issues like, let's say, transgender rights. Again, in the proper forum, you stand up for what you believe in. But when it comes to creating a brand and taking back something like the concept of liberty, like the word libertarian, we have to get away from getting bogged down in the weeds and concentrate on the biggest issues. And that is the war on drugs and the ongoing war state. Now, I, as we all know, taxation is theft. We're not going to abandon that either. You fight to have your freedom of association. You fight to have your freedom from theft of government. You fight to have your Second Amendment. All of those things are vital. And the Second Amendment thing, that might become a bigger issue than it is currently because I still believe that while I'm a full-blown advocate of the Second Amendment, unabashed and unrestricted, I still don't think that much is going to happen in regards to actually taking away Second Amendment rights in this country. I think the powers that be understand that there are so many millions of guns out there 
that that's not something that is as pressing and as oppressive as the war on drugs and the ongoing war state, in my opinion. But let's talk a little bit about migrating, so I'm already 20 minutes in, migrating into the other topics I wanted to hit. So not only the trouble with libertarian heroes, but also just talking a little bit about the state of the culture, because I've gotten in the habit a little bit of getting away from broader cultural topics on this show, and I don't mean to. But it just so happens when you start doing a current events format, you just there's so many things that pile up so quickly, especially in the era of Donald Trump, where it's things happen a mile a minute, that it's hard to take a step back. And that's what I'm trying to do this episode. Is I'm trying to take a little bit of a step back, look at it at a thousand feet, and, and try to estimate where we are. And one of the things that we're saying, okay, well, speaking of principle, the one thing that I want libertarians to get away from, if it's not clear enough already, because I mentioned this with the Libertarian Party and some things they had done into the run-up of the elections, is abandoning the pandering society, as I've, uh, as I've come to, to view it. And what I mean by that is that society seems to have gone out of its way. When you look at culture, you look at entertainment, you look at media, to pander to whatever is going through the news cycle at any given time or pander to the most popular downtrodden group at any point in time. Now, that's a PR strategy, by the way. Again, if you don't know it, if you're new to the show, I've spent over 15 years now as a public relations executive. I've done it all. (laughs) I've done it all. I've seen it all. And what this is, is, is something that we like to call a grappling hook, where you throw a net around a current event that's racing through the news cycle and attempt to make yourself relevant. And you've got all the parties doing it, all the politicians doing it, and you've got all the celebrities doing it. And now you've got an entire society of people doing it. Because it used to be something where when the news media was honest, they would cover something for a hot minute. They'd try to cover it from a fairly uh, unbiased perspective, although we know there was always bias no matter what. And then they move on. But there was always big issues. Now it seems that people lock on to these minor issues. And they do so because they want to pander to whoever that power broker is that might be able to work them into a higher state of of societal relevance. Maybe they get more likes on Facebook. Maybe they're looking like they're a better person than they are. And a lot of this is simply built into ego and hubris. But we see it constantly. In regards to issues like climate change, we see it in regards to race relations, we see it in regards to sex relations. Meanwhile, typically they don't have much relevance when it comes to actual everyday life. I mean, for Christ's sake, when the Cleveland Browns threw out that they wanted to put Condoleezza Rice as their GM, or they were debating interviewing her, it was one of the stupidest things you could ever hear. But we live in a pandering society. So our pandering society said, oh, well, we've got, to, we've got to talk about this as though it's a, a real thing that actually would have some chance of happening, even though Condoleezza Rice has no experience as an NFL executive. And despite the fact as a, a competent woman, even though I personally dislike her because of her relationship with the atrocities committed under George W. Bush, I'm sure she would be able to do it on a functional level where you say, okay, you can handle perhaps the monetary side of things. Maybe you could put people in place that would do the right jobs. Sure, you could say that. But on a real level, when you get a little bit deeper, you're telling me that a random woman hired from outside of football is going to be able to step right in and be the GM of a football team that's already struggling, which has struggled for years under people that do know what the hell they're doing in football. And somehow, magically, this is going to work out because she's a woman, she's a woman of color, and she's a woman of color that people somehow still like. Because that's the only evidence that this thing would work behind it. But yet, you had every mainstream media outlet reporting on it. You had every ridiculous person on Twitter and on Facebook saying, oh my God, what a wonderful thing this would be. You go, girl. Meanwhile, these people should be decrying this idiotic pandering because, if anything, it actually cheapens the concept of a woman actually taking a role with an NFL team as a GM. If you're going to do it, you wouldn't throw out this frivolous name pulled out of a hat out of nowhere that you knew would get a public relations reaction like this. You would actually spend time 
and find out who would be a viable candidate that could step in there and actually do a decent job, actually have a chance to interview and get that job. Because it ain't Condoleezza Rice. And that's what I mean when I say avoid the pandering society. Because when you pander like this, you're not doing anybody a service. And in fact, all you're doing is abdicating your own principles in order for a cheap, short gain. It's like a one-night stand. You're basically getting laid for one night. You're going to get a cheap thrill out of the amount of tweets you might get. And then you're going to look back in the mirror and say, you know what? I really hoard myself out. And I regret that. So don't pander. Don't try to tie into the latest thing in the current news cycle if it's going to poison your principles. Because it's not going to help us. All that's going to happen is people are, again, going to look back and they're going to say, well, this is an instance of a libertarian abandoning principle, tying into some some random concept that's running through the cycle of news in order to get attention. And that doesn't make anyone look good, especially when you say we're an organization. Well, I don't say organization in a, in a standard technical sense. Let's say a, a loose organization of like-minded people as we are. But we're an organization that is founded on principles that stand the test of time. And if you alter and back down from those principles then you can't point to that track record anymore. You can't say we were right about all of these things. Look at the economic track record we have. Look at the civil track record we have. I mean, for libertarians, for Christ's sake, we were the people that owned gay marriage being something that was a right between two people before any party. Yet, you don't hear anybody talking about that, do you? No, of course not. Because all you hear people talking about is how, of course, my dog just walked into the room. <laughs> hey, dog. Thanks for ruining my Honda show. <laughs> but all you have people talking about is the libertarian ideas that are so far outside of what people can rationally conceive of that they are viewed as a joke. Now, that doesn't mean they're wrong. That doesn't mean that we can't build the roads through private societies because we could. It doesn't mean that the police can't be run privately, which they could and should, or the fire department, or even the military. But it is so far out of people's understanding that you can't just always push on that button and expect to have the response of, ah, I get it. And, you know, I I have arguments with people about this. It's not that I don't believe that we should have those principles constantly and should openly express them. I do. But the way I look at it is that if we're going to emphasize something, and look, we all have limited time, we all have limited emphasis, we all have, more importantly, limited opportunities to reach people, you have to prioritize what you want to push. And as I said, we need to push things people can understand and which are readily visible to people as failures. And that's the war on drugs, that's the war state, and really, even to a broader extent, just pure government overreach. I love to throw the Fed in there too, by the way, but again, that's a concept which is so hard to describe to people and sum up in a nutshell, especially when we have misconceptions about what actually caused the housing bubble and the crash, which was, of course, government-funded and, uh, and related to the Fed, but still. To describe all these things in a nutshell is very difficult. So again, government overreach, number one, intrusiveness into your life, war state, war on drugs. Don't pander, stay principled. Now, let's get to the overall title of the episode. Half an hour in, we're finally going to get to the title of the episode because that's, we're talking about principle, right? We're talking about how you communicate and why it's so difficult for libertarians to get the message out there in a way that is not polluted, that's not convoluted, that's easily understandable, that's not mocked. And one of the biggest issues that we have is that we don't have enough storytellers. Now, there are some people trying to remedy that. I mean, I myself am a screenwriter. I'm working on a, I'm actually working on a screenplay with a buddy. We're almost done with it. We've gotten fantastic notes back from a lot of industry people. And he happens to be one of the most rabid progressives I've ever met. But shh, don't tell him that the concept behind it, as it at its core, has a lot of libertarian values in it. And those values bleed into the movie in very specific parts. And there's other organizations, the Talisa Nexus, probably said that wrong. I know one of our uh, listeners and supporters, Adam Choi, is a member of that. 
they're trying to make libertarian-centric comic. Actually, I shouldn't even say libertarian. I don't know if I can go that far with them, but content that isn't seen as a purely progressive worldview. But a lot of it happens to be libertarian, small government, small regulations, anti-war, etc. But we don't have enough storytellers. When we look at the culture that exists today in the world, it is governed 100% by the left and the right. The left owns civil rights, despite the fact that the ACLU has abandoned uh, its position on basic civil rights. But the left owns the civil rights conversation. They own anything in regards to race, anything in regards to sex, anything in regards to workplace empowerment. You see the unions, anything in regards to immigration. Typically, they own anything in regards to uh, women's issues, which falls under parenting in many circumstances. The right, of course, they own the military and they own religion. They own uh, the principled, good old-fashioned way of growing up. So we see the stories that play out in those themes, right? We see those stories roll out in the media on television. We see those stories roll out on TV, on streaming media. We see them in books. And this is the problem with libertarian heroes. While the left can throw out a Harvey Milk, they could throw out a, uh, what is that, numbers, missing numbers, or whatever the hell it was with the black NASA women. You know, there's endless numbers of heroes that the left can drudge up and throw out there and rally behind as here are symbols of what we believe in. You know, the Academy Award winner for last year, Moonlight, which I still haven't seen, but I know the plot, gay black man back in, you know, back in 19 Dickety 2. You know what the plot is. Didn't stop it from winning Academy Award. Didn't stop it from getting massive attention. Look at Get Out, a movie of, you know, which I, again, I actually reviewed that movie with Dan Smots too in his Rotten Tomatoes uh, podcast, or Rotten Potatoes podcast, pardon me. Look, it was a fine movie. All right. Was it a movie that deserved to have 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and all sorts of acclaim as the best film come out in whatever years? No, it didn't. Absolutely not. It was basically, if you're looking at it and being very honest, a plot that had been done before involving people taking over other people's bodies. It just happened to have black people in it and it worked as an allegory for race and slavery. Okay, cool. Right. Now, black people in America have to look through other people's eyes. Okay, Couldn't be themselves, all that stuff. Wasn't anything that was really world-beating. Wasn't anything I would have said was world-changing, in my opinion. But, again, thrown out there as, ha, ah, what a hero with left civil rights, race relations, black America is downtrodden. It's an endless number of heroes that they can w- draw from that. Well, because, look, people have been oppressed over time. Now, that's not our fault as libertarians, you know? uh, but you have these stories of oppression. You have these stories of, you know, look at women. How many, how many movies have been made about single mothers overcoming single motherhood? Meanwhile, you might argue, well, single motherhood's not necessarily something that should be uh, tri- viewed as a, a triumph to be repeated. It, it could be a triumph of personal willpower in a certain, certain circumstance, but it should not be something that is lauded as desirable when you have clear evidence of family units staying together, being the number one indicator of social mobility and economic mobility. I shouldn't say social economic mobility advancing from one class to the next, as far as economy goes, but there's an endless number of those stories. When you look at the right, how many military movies come out every year? Clint Eastwood's built an entire career now off making first. He was a cowboy. Now he's one of the few prominent conservatives in Hollywood, and he rolls out a new military movie. First, it was the Iwo Jima movie. Then it was the movie about the veterans on the train stopping the terrorist attack. You know, that there's that Sully film, another American hero. You know. But it's again, these the military heroes, the religious heroes, these priests that do the right thing. <laughs> now, granted, the priest thing has been debunked quite a bit. There's, there's uh, excuse the pun, but quite a few holes have been poked in the uh, the priest as hero narrative. But 
you still see priests portrayed in the media as heroes, as uh, fighters of evil, as, as the bastions of good fighting against the evil Satan. So those are the heroes that you've got for these various sides of things. And those tropes get rolled out again and again and again. The problem is, as libertarians, who can we say, here are our heroes? Look, one of us could make a movie about Ron Paul, and it would probably be a great movie. Dr. No. You know, call it the new Dr. No. People will watch it by accident, thinking they're getting a James Bond film. But as far as mainstream goes, no one's going to make that film. Who are other libertarian heroes we can point to? No one's going to make a Mises film. No one's going to make a Herman Hoppe film because this is the problem with libertarianism is that when you have a principled belief system, when you've got people that believe in speaking their minds and you've got people that have a penchant for getting into deep intellectual conversations, well, those are mined time and time again by the left and the right to tear these heroes down. When you look at Hoppe, what comes to mind the first thing every single time? And no, it's not argumentation ethics. The first thing that comes to mind is throwing people out of helicopters for being communists. Now, while that was a joke said flippantly, it's viewed in the context of this man was a monster that wanted to throw people out of helicopters and thus is a demon. Now, if it was somebody on the left, it was a hero, like let's say Louis Farrakhan, a hero to the left, despite the fact that he constantly refers to Jews as termites and as the scum of the earth, but seems to be Teflon. You can't hurt that guy. That would be glanced over because you have so many prominent voices just saying, oh, that's that's." but look at the greater body of work. We don't have that because libertarians have not been in power. It's hard for us to point to what we've achieved because we have not been in power. We might have been behind the scenes working. We might believe the same things. We might believe that gay marriage is a right between two people. We might believe that every man is equal that every man has the same rights, whether he be man, male, female, black, white, transgender, whatever it might be. We might believe that the government is stealing money out of our pockets. But the problem is we don't have these heroes to pin these things on that we can point to and say, see that, there goes Cesar Chavez, who, by the way, was a huge piece of shit. But there goes Cesar Chavez, one of our heroes that says this philosophy works. I mean, even Ron Paul had that slander bullshit thrown in. Oh, I just cursed. Damn it. Well, what you going to do, right? But even Ron Paul had those newsletters dredged up, which allegedly were written by someone else, which I believe completely myself, but allegedly were written by somebody else that had references to blacks in it that were unflattering, let's say. There were only a couple mentions in, a, in some 200 newsletters, but it didn't take long for people to dredge them up. Same thing with Murray Rothbard. Murray Rothbard had stated that he had, at one point, had some understanding and some allegiance with the, uh, oh, what do you call them, the paleo-libertarians, and that tied in a little bit with uh, some of the views that were a little bit racist insofar as the Southern strategy. So there goes Murray Rothbard. So you can't say he is one of our heroes to constantly hold him. We hold him up as such, but he's not someone that we would say make a movie out of. He's not someone that we could say stood on the front lines marching and changing something. And maybe this is just a, tr- a problem wherein we haven't been around long enough. Libertarianism has not been around as you know, the hundreds of years the Republicans and Democrats have. We are a fairly new movement in the context of history. But we do have a sincere problem with heroes. And that's why, to hearken back to our our problem with a lack of storytellers, is that we need to create our own heroes. I was telling people when I was giving a talk here in LA, we need heroes. Like if you're listening to this podcast right now, you need to become a hero. You need to become a storyteller. You need to become someone that's creating on behalf of liberty. Because we don't have those heroes in the real world yet. Now, Larry Sharp, maybe he could be a hero one day. Maybe Tom Woods someday will get a a gumption to run for office. That is, if the Libertarian Party doesn't try to tear him down, as Nick Sorwick tweets about some Nazi dog whistling 
BS for I don't even know free associating with something Jeff Dice said that was in no way related to Nazi dog whistling. But we also have that issue where to have heroes, you can't have people tearing them down from within constantly. I mean, look at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is now a hero of the left, despite the fact that she is, in my opinion, a complete moron. She has an economics degree and doesn't seem to understand economics. She's constantly misspeaking. She has no grasp of history. And if anyone had the gumption to tear her down on the left, they could do it in an instant. But they didn't. They supported her because, oh, she's the new hero. We got to support this gal. Meanwhile, we libertarians take pleasure in tearing each other down over that same goddamn minutia that I was just telling you to avoid. We need to build heroes, whether they be in real life, whether they be people in office, people that we can support that are in public, whether they be personalities, whether they be people that you invent and put in a story. I mean, Ann Rand, I still haven't, look, I have not read Ann Rand. Haven't read it. Maybe someday I will. Maybe if I make enough money off this podcast someday where I can I can retire on a beach when I have nothing but free time, I'll read some Anne Rand. But for now, I haven't read her. But she wrote some books that inspired people. She wrote stories that inspired people. Find a voice. Create a hero. Because right now, We have an issue with that. And due to the principles that we embody, we are always going to be a target that can be easily torn down. And we need to change the culture behind the society. And you do that through entertainment. You do that through writing. You do that through podcasting, through creating memes, through creating Instagrams and everything else. Because we have to win this battle and we have to find new heroes to help us fight this war. All right. That's a good hundredth episode speech. I think 42 minutes of me blabbing on. All right, guys, we're going to be right back with some news items to wrap this up. Be back in a minute. Don't go anywhere. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 100, the momentous 100th episode. By the way, one thing I forgot to mention in regards to Liberty Guys and Liberty Heroes, you know, I talked about how our core principles make us easy to tear down because people can find things that we believe in that have not been borne out because they haven't had the chance. And they view that as us saying that, I guess I use the Civil Rights Act as an example earlier. They view that as you allowed this to happen. You were in favor of slavery because you wanted to do nothing. And that's one of the core issues we do have with heroism is that as a libertarian, a lot of, a lot of our action A lot of our most principled, laudable, superhero-like action is simply doing nothing. (laughs) Nothing, man. Away! But doing nothing has so much power in so many circumstances. Doing nothing would have saved Americans from millions and millions and millions of text messages and emails and phone calls being read by our government. Under the Patriot Act, it would have stopped thousands of people from being tortured and killed because of this entrapment in these foreign wars stemming from 9-11. It would have stopped millions of people overseas from dying due to American action from our own populace and from other populace. 
by simply doing nothing. By simply doing nothing, we might still have a sound monetary system. By doing nothing, we might not have the incredible welfare state that exists today. If local governments had done nothing in regards to over-regulation of housing, we might not have housing crises like we do today. If the government had done nothing in regards to placing business taxes and income taxes on people, we might have even better of a thriving economy today. We wouldn't have the debt issues that plague Americans. If the government had done absolutely nothing and not gotten involved with cronious healthcare systems, we wouldn't have the incredible amount of debt and expense that goes into healthcare. If the government wasn't involved locally, we wouldn't have hospitals that have to petition other hospitals to be built. The biggest libertarian heroes are the people that do nothing. It's funny that I had to come back to say that because that was really the center of this entire concept. I looked at my notes and I was like, oh, what an idiot. I forgot the center concept of it. But that is an issue of libertarianism. That while all these other organizations act the right, we're going to go over there, we're going to fight him, we're going to take that chap's ear off, I'm going to put it on a necklace, right? That's their perspective. We're going to go out and get him. We're going to do something about it. We're going to go kill those MFers. On the left, we're going to go march in the streets. We're going to get, we're going to change the world. We're going to make sure that these people have the same rights, whether or not it violates other people's rights. We're going to make sure that they get positioned in a position in society that's to their standing. And if you don't like it, well, get out of the way, mister. These are their heroes, people of action. And when you got people like us that view action as probably a violation of the non-aggression principle, well, <laughs> you got yourself a problem with libertarian heroes. Not a problem we can't overcome because we have to overcome that, like I said, with creation of our own heroes that can convey the fundamental problems with the actions that the left exhibit, that the right exhibits, and reach that exhausted middle of the country that's looking for another alternative. Okay. Let's get on to something else. Okay, let's talk about Sweden, eh? Okay, so Sweden is on the verge of going completely cashless. They, uh, as a society, have gotten to the place where a lot of banks now do not have cash, do not accept cash. It's card or your phone. You know, you can put your bank information on your phone, hold it up to a wireless reader, a Wi-Fi reader, scans your phone. I use it all the time at my bank uh, right now. It's very convenient. Would I ever want to give up cash? Hell no. And that's the problem here is that they're going completely cashless, right? Even vendors now, you could go to the store. They won't accept cash. It says right on the window, no cash, card or phone only. Okay, so you have a scenario wherein you just have your phone, you just have your card. Okay, so now you're basically saying to the government, you have sole power over everything that happens in my life. Because people don't understand that it's not just a matter of convenience to not have cash. Because, of course, if it was a matter of pure convenience, sure, maybe you don't have cash. And now, granted, don't freaking tweet at me about Bitcoin. I understand Bitcoin is a thing. And, and now, by the way, Ohio is taking Bitcoin payments. So that's interesting. So I understand that people can transact with Bitcoin. But Bitcoin's not there yet, guys. Okay? So let's not try to compare the two. Because right now, fiat currency is still the de facto currency, it's used every day. America hasn't gone full sweep. But you do have this issue where if you no longer have the ability to have cash currency, hard currency, and you're all digital, well, number one, the government now owns you because the government can shut down all of your means of accessing your funds. There's no more money in the mattress. There's no more money in the shoe. There's no more... And finding that illicit joy of going through a winter coat and finding $20 in your pocket and immediately going out to buy porno magazines because it's cold outside, damn it, and you got to stay warm in the winter somehow. And, of course, an alcohol. But if you've got the government ability to shut down your bank or tell your bank to shut off your credit card, well, you're pretty screwed now, aren't you? Not only that, but let's say you want to disappear. You want to go off the grid. Let's say you're a wanted man. Let's say you're wanted for a drug offense, as laughable as that is in many places. And actually, I think Sweden might be the other place that decriminalized uh, all drugs, by the way. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. But now, how are you going to disappear? Where are you going to go? You are trackable. 
at all times. The government no longer needs to have GPSs in all of our phones. It doesn't need to plant a chip in our brains. It doesn't need to have Google satellite following us around. It simply has to wait for you to try to access your money because you no longer have any. For anybody to give you money, they would have to transfer it into your account, which the government can block, and they can see who transferred into your account. They can find out where that person is when that translation takes place. They can find out by, by tracking it on your phone, looking at the nearest uh, vendor that you went to and, and tried to buy something from. So you are now completely at the whim of the government. You are now simply an ant in the ant farm. So let me emphasize, cashless society is one of the most evil things I can think of. And there's no way America should allow ourselves to go down that path. It may be inevitable, mind you. It may be something where if, if all the other world governments translate to cash only, I'd be shocked if the U.S. didn't as well. Or excuse me, uh, digital only. But we got to fight that as long as we can. Okay, next thing. Let's talk about what we're talking about, cash. Let's talk about General Motors laying off 14,000 workers. Why? Because they lost a billion dollars to tariffs. Who could have seen this coming, guys? What a shocker. You're telling me that if you put a billion dollars on tariffs because of a trade war that you're starting with another country, despite the fact that we're both getting cheaper goods, we're getting better quality products made by people more efficiently, but we start a trade war anyway, that it's going to have some, some repercussions here at home? And with the auto industry, which is one of the industries that just recently was bailed out, and GM was well, the foremost of that bailout by you, by the way. Now, granted, GM has paid the government back. Shocking. I, didn't, I, I don't think anybody saw that coming. But why, why in the world would you not see this coming? I don't know why Trump thought that this was going to be a one-way street that wasn't going to harm Americans. And this is after he's tweeting every other day about companies keeping workers here in America. And of course, that's all due to crony capitalism because he's giving the same unfair tax breaks that Amazon's getting in New York City. Unfair competition to other, other businesses there to try to give these people an incentive to keep their worker here. Meanwhile, if you just had free markets, you'd have that labor go elsewhere, and then you'd have Americans benefit by virtue of having cars slice their prices in half because they no longer have the cost of the infrastructure to make them. You no longer have unions that are having pensions that are bankrupting these companies because they were negotiated under times before the free market existed and global trade existed in the way it does today. The market changes. You can't try to keep it the same by virtue of taxing people to death or tariffing people to death. See, there's, it's still a tax. So while I don't think this is going to convince Donald Trump to change his ways because he's having too many other victories so far, we're going to see more and more of this happen. You're going to see dominoes start to fall in regards to these tariffs. The steel-dependent industries, the auto industry... Uh, I'm trying to think of other steel dependencies. Shipping. I don't know what else relies on steel. The Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> I don't know. Everything kind of taps into steel. But I think in regards to steel is getting hit hard. And also just the fact that China's put tariffs on it is crushing their global export market. I know there's already been cars canceled by Ford because they have no, they said with the tariffs, it's not worth making it. They had a specific line of hyper-economy cars that they were going to make. And they said, we can't do it now. The cost of importing to China makes it impossible with these tariffs for us to make, make money there. So they're just completely axing that line of cars. Now, I haven't seen any layoffs come from Ford, but this is a real-time reaction. And you can be sure as shit if they don't have that avenue to sell a new, new brand of car in China that would have been profitable. Well, it's only a matter of time until they start cutting more at home. Okay, let's move on to... The hashtag thought audit, T-H-O-T audit, which, you know, honestly, I have no idea what the hell that's supposed to stand for. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I just don't know. But basically, this was uh, jacked out there by assholes who want to make sure that Twitter models, that YouTubers, freelancers, Airbnb hosts, all these other people that happen to be getting around taxation because they're an Instagram model that works on a, a Patreon base, right? Now, Lions of Liberty also is a Patreon base, but we're filed as a business, right? So we, we pay our taxes to make sure we don't get screwed over by big papa government. 
But there's a lot of these Instagram models that people just give the money directly. They're hot chicks. They like hot chicks. They give them some cash for being hot chicks. What's the problem? Sounds fine to me. Well, like anything, guys, like we see throughout culture and again, the pandering society where people pander to get approval for their actions. This is more pandering society because they're pandering to prove to people that they care, that they, that this is unfair. This is the right pandering here. It's unfair that you pay your taxes and these people don't. Because again, the right, as I said, who are their heroes? The military, the upstanding Christian conservatives. So they're saying, oh, these Instagram harlots are getting money and you're, they're not paying taxes and you're paying harder in taxes. This ain't right. And then on the left, they got their heroes saying, this is the right. These are just, these women are just being exploited. This is a setback to the feminist movement. This isn't right at all. And they're not even paying taxes. They're just making bad icons out of women. They're like the old pinup girls from the 50s and they're not paying taxes. Let's get them. And where does it all really have its roots, guys? It's jealousy. Just like anything else, it's jealousy. They're jealous. The women that are making a big stink out of the women that are hot online making a living off of it, just like women that can't stand strippers or can't stand porn stars, is that they're not a stripper, they're not a porn star, and they're not hot enough to be. Now, you can say, no, no, I believe this, this is really a, an issue that it's, 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 it's really putting women down. Oh, I would disagree with you. If anything, I think it's empowering for women. If you're a good-looking person and you can take advantage of that, why shouldn't you? It's your body. That's the market at work. If the market says, hey, we're hungry for hot chicks that post stupid pictures of themselves with cat ears on on Instagram, and we're willing to pay you a million dollars a year to do it, and yeah, they get paid that much. It's, like, it's shocking. I need to get my wife on there. Hey, baby, get out there. Put on a bikini. But if they could do it, that's the market talking. And if there's a market for it, well, clearly that, that there's quite a big portion of the population that doesn't agree with your view that it's exploitative to women. And in fact, if anything, it'd be exploiting the men that want to give them their harder dollars to look at some stupid Instagram photo. Same thing with the people that are on the right saying, oh, this, is, this has to do with paying taxes unfairly. Well, you're just jealous that someone else has managed to skirt the system because of their God-given benefits, which happen to be good looks or happen to be something in, in the terms of YouTube creators. Maybe they just happen to hit on something unique. I mean, God, remember that idiotic uh, Fred kid or, or, or even worse, the annoying orange? I don't know. Maybe I'm dating myself to the old days of the internet, but there was a character called the annoying orange, which was just that. It was really goddamn annoying. It had a stupid high-pitched voice. It wasn't funny. It wasn't clever. It wasn't well-written, but kids loved it. Just like this annoying jagoff named Fred who now has made millions and millions of dollars in several movies for kids. Same thing. Just an annoying dick of a kid and made millions. These people that are on Twitch, there's another thing. There are women who make millions of year just playing video games in the underpants. Maybe they do some sexy shows on live on cam girl stuff. I don't know. But they make a lot of money just playing video games and being hot. And these people are jealous as hell that they aren't able to do it. So this is just absolutely ridiculous that people are making this into some sort of cultural whistleblowing situation where you can report these people to the IRS. And really, you're supposed to hashtag thought audit and hashtag people to try to get the IRS involved with investigating them. <laughs> and but the bad idea is, the bad part is that uh, even if you're a whistleblower, going to the IRS, you still have to have credible information that this person is avoiding taxes, that they are, that they're actively intentionally skirting the system and they don't know. So what ends up happening is more likely than not, a lot of these people are probably paying taxes, especially if you're making a couple million a year, that's hard to sweep under the rug. So odds are all they're doing is causing a massive inconvenience for these people because of this jealousy, because of this pandering for attention, and because of this virtue signaling that our culture has sadly, sadly adopted as its number one social currency. Okay, last thing. Let's talk about the dumbest article of the week. And that is a former employee who said Facebook has a, quote, black people problem. Now, let me read a little bit of this article. Mark Lucky, who was black, said Facebook, oh, this is by the way, this is from CNBC. 
Mark Lucky, who is black, said Facebook's population of black employees is not representative of its black user base. Quote, there is often more diversity in keynote presentations than the teams who present them, Lucky wrote in a note, which he originally shared with Facebook employees November 8th. In some buildings, there are more Black Lives Matter protesters than there are actual black people. Facebook can't claim that it is connected com- connecting communities if those communities aren't represented proportionally in its staffing. Okay, is there anything more ineptly stupid than that comment? So you're telling me that Facebook can't build a community of people that happen to tie into black issues unless they happen to have the exact same number of black people working at Facebook on that committee for that black issues topic as there happen to be in, say, the metro area that this black issues topic is taking place in. So if you're Facebook and you're trying to connect people in Detroit, you better have at least 60% black people at Facebook. And I'm making that up. I don't know if it's 60% black people in Detroit. But bear with me. You get what I'm saying here. This is the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life. Say you have to proportionally represent to try to do anything regards to any race, sex, or people. Are they supposed to hire a bunch of transgender people to come in if they're trying to have a transgender community and connect with? And by the way, what the hell is he even talking about? What is he talking about connecting communities? Facebook provides a platform for other people to use to connect themselves. All Facebook does is censor that. <laughs> so what are you even talking about? How would this, like, in, in what world is this man providing a valid point? And not only that, they're holding this guy up as saying that Facebook has a black problem because they don't have enough diversity. Meanwhile, if they if they go out of their way, this is like we say with any any sort of initiative like this. If they go out of their way and say, okay, we now have to staff up, we have to hire X number of black people, X number of transgender people, X number of women, X number of Asians, or probably fire Asians in the case of Facebook and tech where they are. We have to fire 75% of our Asians. We got to get some Indians in here. We got to get some Native Americans in here. Where's the Native Americans? Are there Native American uh, Indians that, that they got to bring in here? It's just, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And this guy's talking about just how it's it's it feels like an oddity at your own place of employment because of the color of your skin while passing posters reminding you to be authentic. It feels inauthentic. Well, yeah, no shit, man. <laughs> ah, I cursed again. Well, hey, if we can if we can cap this at two hardcore curses, that's pretty good. But of course, this guy, yeah, it's all inauthentic. You idiot. What do you? I, all of this is pandering again. Concept of this of another resounding concept of this show, this hundredth episode, pandering. Facebook is pandering. Anybody that puts a poster on their wall for any reason really is pandering, especially when it's regards to race relations or, uh, or some sort of cultural movement or, or a rainbow or that stupid hate has no home here with Hillary Clinton, despite Hillary Clinton being the most hateful people in the world. Of course it's inauthentic. When you put that stuff up, you are purely virtue signaling. And hey, man, it might feel inauthentic to you, but if anything, it's unauthentic because they're trying to appeal to you. And look, I don't like Facebook. In fact, I hate Facebook. So I'm not trying to protect them. But this is just so stupid. It's just like the classic, if you look for it, you're going to find it style of racism where this dumb jag has been, you know, I, I don't know if he got fired or if he left. I, I think maybe he left on his own. Maybe he resigned. It doesn't say in this article. It just says a former employee. But yeah, if you look for it, you will find it. It's like all these black people and all these are just not even black people. I'm, just, I'm not going to say all black people because that's just this, the, the dumbest statement. I'm not going to lump everybody in. But you do have a lot of people that are minority races that are now trained to say, I am being oppressed and look for racism. And like I said, if you look for racism, you're going to find it. And I use this I use this example all the time because it's incredibly pertinent example. Look. I'm a white guy, right? I'm not racist. I like everybody. Big fan. But I now am in a culture that exists where if I walk down the street, it's conscious in my mind if someone is a black person, not because I have any initial concepts about that person being a mugger or not being a mugger or being whatever the negative stereotype about black people might be. But no, you know what's in my head? Here's what's in my head. Okay, 
How, when do I make eye contact with this dude? Do I make eye contact? Should I give him a nod? Is that weird because I'm a white dude? Well, it looked like I'm doing it just because he's a black guy and I'm a white guy. Is that pandering on my own right? Which is why I hate pandering. But that's what's in my head. And this dick nozzle, that's not a curse. That's a euphemism. This dick nozzle will be one of those people that then notices that I am walking up to him looking somewhat trepidatious about what I'm going to do, despite the fact that that trepidation is purely from the best of intentions in trying not to make him feel uncomfortable. But again, if you are programmed to look for racism, and I am now programmed to be somebody that actively is trying to not look racist, well, what are you going to get? You're going to get somebody that comes away and goes, man, that white guy was racist. He was clearly uncomfortable being next to me. Which isn't true. <laughs> but, but this is how the world is playing out. Because of guys like this. Because of cultures of pandering like this that create a victim culture and create a mentality where everybody has got to be on watch for the smallest thing. And God forbid you get caught because your life will be ruined. If only we had a libertarian hero to help fight this, guys. I need a hero. I need a liberty hero who believes what's right. Oh, it's strong and it's fast and his principles last and it's fighting left and the right. I need a hero. Ooh, I need a liberty hero and I need him tonight. Well, it's strong and it's fast and his principles last. It's fighting the left and the right. Give me a hero. That's it. Thanks for listening, guys. That was a hundred long episodes from me, Brian McWilliams, here at Electric Liberty. And again, guys, support the show if you can. Join our Patreon. We would love to have you on board. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. And do not forget to listen to Mark Clear on Mondays with his fantastic interviews with people from the Liberty Movement. John Odiotomat on Fridays with Felony Friday, talking with people who have been through the awfully misnamed criminal justice system. And uh, yeah, man. Hey, also give us a review on iTunes if you can. Share this show if you can. I only, only <laughs> curse twice. And uh, and yeah, guys, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, 100 episodes really does mean a lot. It's a, it's a huge milestone to hit in podcasting. Uh, TV and podcasting, you hit 100 episodes, it's kind of a big deal. So thank you for your support from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for being libertarians. Thank you for believing in the basic liberties, the basic rights that keep mankind going. Despite what our enemies on the left and on the right might say, you are the people that are keeping us on track. You and I both, my brothers and my sisters. So anyway, guys, thank you all. From me, Brian McWilliams, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into liberty.